BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. They say I'm disturbed. From city to city, an incredible hysterical panic spread. I think we're getting into a weird area here. Hysteria. You can't handle the truth. Brain is gone. This is Hysteria 51. Here. The truth is out there. It's alive. But you won't find it here. They're coming for you. Look, there comes one of them now. Welcome in, Hysteria Nation, to a wild episode of Hysteria 51. Wild as in there will be a death. No. Pass. Come on, Kyle. <laughs> Holy shit. That was easy. <laughs> well, yeah. Has it no, always he, been that easy? No, no, no. He has court, so he has to leave. He's just messing uh, with you. Motherfucker. Yeah, we are coming to you from the lower fourth dimension, also known as Chicago, with a tether... Or maybe a uh, maybe a bent branch into an X pattern <laughs> <laughs> to parts unknown Colorado. I'm Brent Han. He's David Flora. Yo, and uh, the bots are out. So this is a good day, good sir. It's a great day <laughs> because we have an awesome guest coming in and filling in um, while we, you know, uh, don't have to deal with the uh, the Egypts. Yeah, <laughs> that's always there. a good thing. Yeah, tell us about it. This is someone that you had uh, you'd just done a panel with. You had sang her praises, and you got us hooked up on on having her on the show. It's been fantastic. Yeah, I'm super super stoked about this. Uh, Laura Krantz is joining us. She's an American journalist, podcaster, and author. Uh, she was editor at National Public Radio for ten years. That's NPR. If you're nasty, yeah, that's right. And we all be nasty. So. <laughs> She has a series of illustrated children's books based on her podcast, Wild Thing, and is a founding partner of the media company Foxypus Inc. Her work has been covered extensively in the media, including the LA Times, Fox, uh, which, you know, it puts people like us on there, so you, you know it's uh, quality. right. <laughs> the Atlantic, the Washington Post, and more importantly, now, Hysteria 51. That's a real, it's time for her to redo her bios, I think, after we've had her on here. Is what you you gotta, you gotta add that to the Atlantic <sighs> and the <laughs> LA Times. <laughs> uh, we mentioned her podcast, Wild Thing. It's a long form narrative podcast about the obsessions that capture our imaginations. Uh, I think she likes to say it's about um, Sasquatch, society, and science. There you go. Um, and 
it's a sound, rich, and deeply reported show that examines the relationship between sci- said science and society mm-hmm. and <laughs> that, uh, and that's that point where scientific inquiry collides with our very human desire to find answers, Amen whether it's that. seeking out Sasquatch, looking skyward for extraterrestrial life, or examining our relationship with the atom. Mm. Exploring the unknown helps us better understand ourselves, and Laura does a great job yeah. uh, of bringing attention to all she that. She does. She does. The Atlantic named it one of the best 50 podcasts in 2018 and 2020. Ugh, we were Which 51. is amazing. No, we are um, 51. That's our name. Never mind. <laughs> It's an easy mistake to make. Yeah, I, 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 I do it all the time. Um, the podcast is also the inspiration for a series of nonfiction yep, middle grade books, books yep, yep. from Abrams Kids, including The Search for Sasquatch, of which I have a copy, and Is There Anybody Out There, which is coming this October. Mm-hmm. And in addition to Wild Thing, her recent work includes editing and production work on The Syndicate, uh, Side Door, Air and Space. Uh, a couple of those were from the Smithsonian, by yep, the way, yep. and um, others because, you know, screw the rest. But uh, <laughs> Laura's, Laura's prior experience includes a freaking decade of yeah. editing and producing at NPR in yep. Washington, D.C. and KPCC in Los Angeles. She is a bona fide Brent. I mean, a lot of this stuff is the same thing you do. Why aren't you this successful? Dude, I will fucking kill you. Break time. When we come back, Laura joins us to talk all things <laughs> wild on Hysteria 51. Gotcha, bitch. Welcome back, Hysteria Nation, and more importantly, Laura, welcome in to... Hysteria 51, your first time on here. We are so excited for you to be slumming it and slumming it, slumming it, slumming it, both of those things. Slumming it, slumming it, Spending your time with us here. Thank you so much. <laughs> I'm very excited to be here. It should be hysterical. <laughs> it's, it's, we're, we're very excited that. It should uh, be, it's in the name. Yeah, you, you're, you're classing <laughs> up to join a little bit here. Yeah. <laughs> Laura, you're a, a, a journalist, a podcaster, an author. Your resume puts ours to shame. I'm upset with you about that. But more importantly, I got to ask you, what's wrong with you? And what I mean is, <laughs> how'd you find yourself steeped in the world of the weird, so to speak? How'd you, how'd you find yourself there? Yeah, this wasn't really planned. Um, I was. <laughs> I would be more upset if it was planned. You're like, I'm going to do that. This has Dad. been my lifetime goal. <laughs> I, I wanted to be a Bigfoot and alien enthusiast since I was a wee lass. Um, the dominoes are starting to fall. I want to be a fireman. <laughs> I want to knock sticks against trees in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't? <laughs> Sorry, I digress. Please go ahead. I want to set out fruit pies on a plate and see if people eat them. <laughs> oh, wait, that was a raccoon. Um, no, so I was living in D.C. I was working for NPR at the time, and there was this big article in the Washington Post about a guy named Grover Krantz who had donated his bones and the bones of his dogs to the Smithsonian. It was about to be put on display, his bones, not him. Um as part of an exhibit on forensic anthropology. And there was this big article about him. It's talking about how he was a an anthropologist at Washington State University. He was a scientist. He was all these, like, sort of all these accolades around him. 
And then there's this little throwaway paragraph at the end that says he was known for driving around the Pacific Northwest with a spotlight and a rifle searching for Sasquatch. And I was like, who the (laughs) F is this guy? Like, what a weirdo. (laughs) Oh, and I forgot to mention that he donated his body to the uh, body farm in Tennessee first before the bones went to the Smithsonian. So they let let him get picked clean before they put him on. And and, uh, what's with that last name? Exactly. So I found out from my grandfather that he was his cousin. He would show up at the family picnic with calipers and measure people's heads. Um, A man (laughs) of science since a child. (laughs) And I was kind of like, how can you be a man of science and a man of Bigfoot? Um, This was back in 2006. And I didn't really do anything with it other than sort of trot this story out at cocktail parties to sort of tell people how interesting I was. Um, most people in DC are like, you know, I traveled with the secretary of state to X, Y, and Z country. And I'm like, yeah, I've got a relative in the Smithsonian and he believed in Bigfoot. So, you know, <laughs> it was and my dad can beat up out. your dad. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> it was a good way to weed out who you wanted to actually talk to at a party. That's actually um, really, really accurate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So good conversation fodder. And then about 10 years later, after my husband had been harping on me this whole time, and I didn't mention this, but he'd been in anthropology. My my husband had been in a PhD program for anthropology. So he actually knew who Grover was uh, before I'd ever even found out about him. And he was like, you need to write a book about him. I'm like, eh, I don't, I, I just, it's just a good story. But after 10 years of eroding at my will, um, I finally broke down and decided to do a podcast because I like radio. I like the medium. I like audio. I like that you don't have to use a lot of adjectives because those just clutter things up. Thinking, I, I like to think of myself as Hemingway, um, but more attractive. And uh, yeah, that became the genesis for the podcast. And that's, I mean, that's a, it feels like it was a natural curve. I mean, you're working in NPR and stuff like that, but then you also have you know, great cousin, uh, spotlighty, you know, in this, in this, this crazy, uh, world. And so what about your background? Like, cause you're a, you know, you, you did, uh, you're a journalist. How, how did you take a journalistic approach to a subject like Bigfoot? Or at first was it tongue in cheek and then you found yourself going, "Hmm," or, or what, what was that, uh, you know, story for you as far as how you got into that? I knew from the get-go that I needed to take people seriously if I wanted them to be willing to talk to me. Mm. Um, And, you know, the whole thing with journalism is you're you're trying to be objective. It's the same as with science. Like, you're trying to be objective. You're trying to go in there without preconceived notions and hear what people have to say. Unfortunately, sometimes with these topics, that gets thrown out the window. It totally does. Uh, And I knew that. And so – and I also knew I would need to walk a fine line between, like, who I was talking to. So from the get-go, I basically – I took Grover's approach to thinking about Bigfoot, where he was like, this is a flesh and blood creature. It is beholden to the same laws of physics and biology that the rest of us on this planet are. And, you know, he just kind of, he didn't pay a lot of attention to the stories about telepathic, teleporting, multidimensional, English-speaking Bigfoot. And so I decided (laughs) that was going to be my line as well. And I sort of pushed those other things to the side, very politely, but that's, I just sort of shut down conversations about that because I I could use Grover as my excuse, I guess, in some ways. But also that made it a little bit easier to have conversations with people because some of the things they were saying seemed possible as opposed to completely like just something I couldn't. You're looking for something tangible, tangible instead of this 
ethereal disappearing who, who knows right. what you know um more of a you know well as you're you know aliens and stuff like that it's more like a yeah multi-dimensional or something that we just don't grasp it's a lot easier to get people right. on board and you go i'm looking for a a giant primate that may be out there right and it's a lot easier to have those conversations and be able to take people seriously and not feel like i'm just sort of you know wandering in the in the wilderness so to speak, in these conversations, because people would, you know, they throw out all kinds of science words that they don't necessarily know what they mean. Um, <laughs> and then you're like, well, am I supposed to like, I don't know what my job here is anymore. So it was easier to sort of stay in the realm of the possible in my feeling. Um, but yeah, I went in there wanting to take it seriously, even though I myself was sort of what I and still am quite skeptical. Yeah, and well, I'll, I'll I'll jump in here real yeah, quick please. to um um, uh, explain to the listeners that, uh, Grover was an educator at, um, it was, um, Washington state. Yeah. He was a tenured professor of anthropology there. And so uh, he had a very scientific, uh, approach to it, which for better or for worse for him, um, is more the better for the, the Bigfoot community because there's not a ton of, um, <laughs> tenured professors, I think that go into this, right. Or at least not Ooh, openly, very few. Probably. Yeah. 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 Very, yeah. very few. And I think the ones who have, you know, they they get laughed at there and they have some issues with getting tenure or, you know, getting grant money or any of that kind of stuff. So. Which is really interesting to me because you think, well, I don't mean you, but I think that if you're going to do anything with a, a true scientific approach, you're going to try to cross off all angles, all options and things like that. But as we see in science and in education and academia, anything that's a fringe topic immediately gets you laughed at in a lot of these situations. And um, they don't even allow people to go down those, even for sometimes thought exercises without being chastised. And that uh, it feels wrong. And and I think that there is a, you know, there's a a spot to stop, you know, before it gets crazy. But too many things are just shoved under the proverbial rug because it's a uh, insert joke. Just like uh, when they talk about the the UFO topics that we're seeing on the news right now, uh, the newscasters are hee 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 ha 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 and stuff like that while we're talking <laughs> the about- The giggle factor. Exactly. Why we're talking about things like Congress and Pentagon and, and military officials. So that's a burden that you know we all have to deal with in this. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's an interesting, there's a fine line here because on one hand- you do want people to be able to ask a question about something they're interested in and find out more about it. But that tips over into conspiracy theory mm-hmm. and it becomes a gateway for a lot of like slightly more insane ideas. And that's sort of finding this line of like exploring, exploring a topic, exploratating. What was that even a word? <laughs> it is a now. Topic. It is now. <laughs> um, exploring a topic but then having staying within the bounds of science to some degree. And, you know, the example that always kind of sticks with me is Jill Tarter. So here's a woman who was working with SETI, uh, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence back in the 1960s and 1970s. She's one of the early members along with Frank Drake, um, you know, the, the um, astrophysicist who died recently. And they were always saying, you know, there are, other planets like earth out there 
that would harbor life. And people kind of sneered at that idea of exoplanets. Well, guess what we found an awful lot of in the past <laughs> yeah. 25 years? It's exoplanets. And guess what we found on those planets? Or at least we have a, a sense of, you know, conditions that might support life. And then all of a sudden, all of these ideas that these people were putting out in the 60s and they were being laughed at for have some real grounding in reality. And it's, you know, there, I think there's a, it's okay to be skeptical about this stuff, but if the right kind of material is coming forward, you have to be willing to be open-minded that it could exist. Right. Well, you hope so. Yeah. And you, mm -hmm. you're talking about that too. It's a fine line between, you know, doing that. And even what we do, you, you throw the word conspiracy theories out there. We talk about these things, but you have to you know, dance along the line because you don't want to be, or at least I know Dave and I talk about this. We don't want to feel the crazy conspiracies out there, but we do want to talk about bigger things that are going on. And there is a fine line between discussing something intelligently and having fun while doing it and feeling, you know, throwing fuel in a fire, so to speak. Right. Yeah. And I've always been a little worried with wild thing and with some of these topics that I'm, you know, throwing fuel on the fire. And there are always going to be people who take things out of these conversations. They're going to take what they want to hear as opposed to what you're saying. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's not a lot you can do about that, except just kind of keep staying the course on what your actual thoughts are. Right. But, you know, some people, they listen to the wild thing and they're like, absolutely 100% certain that I believe that Bigfoot is real. And I'm like, you didn't listen. You just heard heard Bigfoot and that's, and you ran with it. Well, you can find so, an echo chamber yeah. no matter where you look if you yeah. don't look hard enough. <laughs> I think it's important. <laughs> I, you've said, you know, your, your, your opinion's still out on this, um, but has your opinion on the subject of Bigfoot changed or been shaped at all uh, as in like it's a maybe now or are you still in the firm camp of you don't know or, or what's been your, your arch as you've went into this over time? So I started with absolutely not Bigfoot. What a joke. Hilarious. Ha ha ha. Harry and the Henderson's tabloid news. Mm -hmm. Bigfoot lives in my basement. Like this is just silliness. Um, and I think after talking to some people about evolution, about, uh, you know, big picture, you know, geologic time spans of like animal evolution, there's a possibility in my mind that something like Bigfoot could have existed once upon a time, even if it doesn't now and may have overlapped with Homo sapiens. And some of those stories have been passed down. Mm -hmm. That's one thing that I've considered, you know, hearing people's personal stories really stuck out at me, especially since I was so careful about talking to people who were pretty grounded in reality and scientists themselves or <clears throat> had a background in wildlife Um in a particular area and then had an experience that really kind of set them on their ear. Like they just didn't really know what had gone, had gone on. Those kinds of things intrigue me. Um, I would say that by the end of the series, I'm at, I'm still really, really skeptical that something like Bigfoot is out there, but I'm open to more open to that possibility than I was once upon a time. Um, I, if someone were to bring the right kind of evidence forward, I'd be like, Cool. That's amazing. Grover was right all along. Mm -hmm. You know, that's sort of my general feeling on that. But the the stuff I've seen so far has not been compelling. Yeah. Well, and that's important is that you are willing to say, hey, I can learn and not be mm -hmm. like, well, I already know the truth. Now let's go prove it. 
you know, the real scientific method, <laughs> you know, right. that so many do. Uh, you've, you've, you've done different seasons for your show, and everyone's been a different topic, cryptids, aliens, nuclear shenanigans. Nuclear. Nuclear. <laughs> <laughs> shenanigans. Uh, was that always your plan, to do different no. topics, or was it going to be, I'm going to do a thing on Bigfoot, and then you found yourself going off? Yeah, so I didn't know if anyone would listen to the first season except mm-hmm. for my mom. Um, <laughs> I was pretty sure she'd listened to the whole thing. But other than that, I had no guarantees that this was going to go anywhere at all. Like I kind of put it out there. I wasn't it's not like I was a known name from NPR. I'd been a producer and an editor, but I was very behind the scenes and fairly junior. Um and when I put this out there, I really didn't know if there would be any interest at all. And it did surprisingly well. Um, but I am a journalist and the reason I'm a journalist is because I can't focus on the same topic for longer than a year or two at most. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I was done with Bigfoot. I did not want to do more Bigfoot. Um, and I was ready to move on to something else. And around the time that I was kind of wrapping up reporting on Bigfoot, there were two events. One was the Amuamua event, Mm -hmm. which was this interstellar object that passed through our solar system. And raised a lot of questions about where did it come from? You know, and what, got some what's Harvard it doing? Where is it going? Yeah. Put it on the map. The Cotton Eye Joe hypothesis. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, is, uh, is, uh, is it aliens? Which was Arby Loeb, who was the head of the Harvard's um, astrology. Sorry, astronomy, not mm-hmm. astrology. Astronomy. <laughs> I can't. I'm 40. I will be 45 this year, and I still have to, like, stop and think astrology or astronomy. <laughs> I don't know why I struggle with that. Um, it probably depends on what your uh, sign is, I would assume. Yeah, yeah if Mer- totally. Mercury's in retrograde or not. <laughs> exactly. Well, exactly. I'm a I'm a salami myself, so I. Uh, no. <laughs> um. So that was the first event, and then like all that stuff about the Pentagon's secret, you know, UFO program that they had going on. Um, that came out as well around the same time, and I and people just were going bananas over this stuff. So I was like, okay. Here's another topic where there's questions about science and our perceptions of science and like the social things that we tell ourselves about this stuff and, you know, all of the different aspects that are wrapped up into it, psychology and philosophy and myths. And Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, uh, you know, is there other life out there? I think that's a a reasonable question to ask for season two. Yeah, I think that's a, a question that a lot of people are searching for, whether they realize it or not is their own meaning. What is the meaning? And that, that kind of falls into it. And I, I was, you know, from 2017 till now, it's been a lot of new things being thrown at us. And I was interested seeing that take place. As you just said, a lot of people are going crazy over it. And a lot of people didn't even bat an eye or pay attention. And that's what was also interesting to me in and of itself is seeing that dichotomy of other people like, oh, my gosh, this is happening. Other people going, yeah, but what's that mean for the but price But Kim of Kardashian gas? did something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, a lot of different uh, oh, celebrities. Oh, is big. You know what else is big? <laughs> Kim K's butt. <laughs> you said it, not me. <laughs> Hot take. Hot take. I'll, yeah, I'll stand by my words. <laughs> yeah, it's just an interesting thing. And, you know, a lot of people look at the government and they're like, oh, well, the government said they're not doing this. So they're not investigating it. And then it comes out the government was investigating it. I'd be a lot more scared if they weren't investigating these things myself, I think. (laughs) Well, and that was one of the things that kept coming up for me as I was doing this. It's like if the government 
wasn't looking into this stuff, that would be really weird if they were just turning a blind eye to it. Like, of course they're looking into this stuff. Um, and yeah, I, as, as for the secrecy side of things, I mean, I kind of get where they're coming from, but the other thing that always stands out to me with this is it's why is it always the government that finds this stuff or the Pentagon? Um, or are they that on top of what the people are doing that the minute something lands on this planet that they, um, you know, men in black, everybody and <laughs> steal right? the saucers and the bodies and stuff, which I have a, I have a hard time believing. Like, I don't know. Well, that is the um, point. Like, and that's something that a lot of people talk about. David, you've brought this up too. How many people does it take to keep a secret or how many people can be involved in something to keep a secret? And if this has been going on forever, there's that big, how do you rein it in? Right. Or, or, you know, throw the blanket over it, so to speak. Well, and normally I'm sort of like, yeah, you know, no one, you're not, three, three can keep a secret if two of them are dead, mm. I think is the phrase. But the Manhattan Project was a pretty fucking big secret and we did keep that you're one. Right? So there are examples of when this can happen. Granted, they or were the all fact that the earth is flat. Alamos, that's but, another one. Just, yeah. And birds aren't real. That's right. <laughs> 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 no, but for real, I, I'm making jokes yeah. here, but you're right. Like it, it's, um, it, we were also working at a different time. And I think when the Manhattan Project was going on, we were at war. We were at a time when people trusted right. the government and that and came to a head. It was harder to disseminate information right. too. You know, we're, we're now in the information age and. Now you just got to go to the Angel to... Fire website and you know, you're getting the truth. You know, exactly. Yeah. GeoCities for the win. If it like is yellow wait, font on background, is that the website that the Jack Teixeira was using to share all that shit about the military? Do you know who I'm talking about? Yeah. No, it wasn't Angel Fire, was it? It was. Uh, I don't remember. It was some gaming website. Yeah, I don't. Fanduel.com. Yeah. Speaking yeah, of I which. Mean, uh, and and I've just, I've just, you know, read. now all your listeners know how ignorant I am. I'm like, <laughs> they played a game and shared some intel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 you're, you're, yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about now. It's, um, he's a 21 yeah, year old that gets, yes, got arrested, but he was yes. like uploading. Yeah. I mean, that probably, I mean, well, it was a Discord that, server. The they were could using Discord, the but now. right. Mm. Right. I think they're using Discord, but I forget what game they were playing that they were doing. It no, they were, there. yeah, they were playing some, some, some game. war, war game. Uh -huh. But yeah, could you do the Manhattan Project now? Could you pull something like that off? I don't know. I I, I kind of think you could in the sense that, you know, with the Manhattan Project, I mean, they they sequestered uh, land and right. built on it and, and did all their experiments and stuff. And now they could, I, I would assume they'd probably just drill a hole somewhere, fill it with cement uh, in rooms and just do everything underground. They wouldn't even have to tell anybody about it or you yeah. know it, it it's like yeah. their their security clearance has no doubt gotten better than what they were doing with los alamos but at the time you didn't have drones and and looky loos and curiosos going to look for everything and actually like oh what's, what's the government doing now how are they uh you know not protecting me and my family you know it's right and for every crazy now, yeah. doing that there's also people that are doing real actual investigative stuff that that's overturning things yeah. and you know um weeding through that's hard sometimes as well you you both know but uh yeah that's well and speaking of manhattan project that brings us up a little bit towards your third season of your show you had a quote oh, yeah. i liked it said given our nature we are human uh i'm sorry let me say that again 
Given our nature, are we humans even responsible enough to harness the power of the universe? And should we? Nay, I say, but <laughs> but I'm a little bit, uh, you know, maybe, uh, you know, anti uh, us at the moment right now. How yeah. do you what? How do you think that that humans that we've are we responsible enough? I guess to be using mm. nuclear power and weapons and things like that. And weapons. if not, what would it take? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, so what would it take for us to be responsible enough? I don't. I don't. <laughs> I don't think we're gonna get there. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Um, this connection's yeah, real bad, guys. Yeah. Sorry. I gotta... <laughs> Who are those guys behind you? <laughs> um. So. It's interesting because let me give a little background on this season for people who haven't heard it, which is probably most people, because I did take kind of a hard right turn into a completely different world yeah. for this one. Although it's still that sort of intersection mm. of science and society and the myths we hold and questions about how the world works. But um, I grew up in a town called Idaho Falls. And in the 1940s, 1950s, they built about 45 miles from where I was in the in or where I wasn't there yet, but my dad uh, was was alive at that time and living in Idaho Falls. They built something called the National Reactor Testing Station, which is essentially where they were testing all of these different nuclear reactors to see what combination of things works. Like, do these materials hold up when you are running something full blast nuclear power? Do what fuels are best? All that kinds of stuff. They, it, this was the Wild West. They were blowing reactors up just to see what would happen. Um, that's when they were, they, they were playing with screwdrivers to, to, you know, at other facilities oh, yeah. and stuff the, and, oh, the demon core. The demon, yeah, and killing themselves. So the wild yeah. west is a very wasn't good way that to talk Los about Alamos? that. That was Los Alamos too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Was it? Yeah. Yeah. But they did blow up a couple of reactors just to see what would happen. And, you know, they're experimenting with all this different stuff. We didn't know a lot yet. Like we'd done the Manhattan project, but we had rushed that and we were still really figuring out a lot of the science mm. that's going on with this. And it was pretty like rip snorting like light that shit on fire and let's see what happens um i'm in <laughs> coke for everybody let's go yeah. so 1961 and then all the different the army the navy both had branches out there and they were a lot of what they were trying to do was develop models that would then potentially be used by civilian reactors going into the future so 1961 um, there is a tiny little army reactor called SL-1. It was supposed to be the model for a mod modular is the wrong word, but it was a small reactor that could have been built around the dew line, which is the Arctic Circle line. Um, so they could keep an eye on Soviet capabilities. And um, the reactors were supposed to be there to power these bases so they didn't have to worry about supply lines and getting material up there in terms of like fuel. So they're testing out this reactor. This thing is so shittily maintained. It is like just, they're just like chewing gum and paper clips, which is a little bit of the army's mentality anyway. It's like, we might not have the materials we need when we're out of war. So we're going to bootstrap this and make it work. Military grade. Yeah. yeah not great with a reactor. Um, that thing <laughs> blew up and it killed three men. Oh, and it's geez. still the deadliest nuclear reactor accident in American history. So, I grew up in this area and I barely hear about this story growing up. And it wasn't until much, much later. Like, I think I was in my mid thirties when I really heard about it for the first time. And in addition to the deaths that these guys suffer, they 
thankfully aren't alive for the part that comes after, which is like all these lurid rumors going around about how there was a love triangle and prostitutes and like all this other crazy shit, basically trying to undermine who these people were and make it sound like it was their mistake as opposed to yeah. like sort of institutional error. But I wanted to look at this story, especially as with climate change, there's all these conversations about renewing um, the nuclear program, bringing stuff back online, you know, San Onofre or San Onofre was taken down, but the, what's the other one in California that they're, they're now, they were going to shutter it and now they're going to keep it open. Um, they're trying to prolong the life of these reactors as a way to have more renewable energy. Anyway, long story short, that's the genesis for that third mm -hmm. season of the podcast is looking into this stuff. And yeah, the technology is better than it was in 1960, but are we any better? That's the big question. Well, we're, um, no one's having premarital sex anymore, so they're going to run just fine. That's There's a, a love very triangle. Good point. There's, <laughs> everything's just peachy. Yeah, everything's good. <laughs> are we better? What a wonderful question. We're different. Yeah. There's a different uh, mentality, I think, to everyone. Um, well, Somewhat. We're more but, yeah, efficient. Yeah, and I really struggled with this. I went back and forth, and I still am not sure I I have a, a really solid point on, or a solid feel for, like, should we do nuclear energy or should we not do nuclear energy? I mean, part of me is like, this is this has potential, no pun intended, to do a lot of, a lot of the heavy lifting. But then I look at what happened in Ukraine and the fact that they were shelling Chernobyl – and like they've now flooded oh. this valley where the Zaporizhna uh, nuclear plant. I think I butchered that name, but you know, you know what I mean. I think they've lost power there like seven times. They've yeah, said in the last just, few, months, you know. Oh, and it that, gives me hives. That dam <laughs> they did use the reservoir for cooling purposes. Now yeah, it's not the only exactly. place, but uh, yeah, just the common sense is you know just off the charts. It's just mwah, well done on on that whole front and they don't want the people to come in outside of of the Ukraine Ukraine or Russia to do investigations to make sure everything's safe um and this is like this is the largest reactor over there right uh, so nothing to see here nothing to worry about and yeah uh, so i just i've struggled with this a little bit because i think we could do a lot with this but i also worry that we're really not responsible enough for it um and there are a lot of problems with Nuclear, as most people well know. Um, but I think the other thing is, is like, how quickly could we get something like that up and running? And given all of the regulations that you need the regulations, but they do slow things down. So, yeah, yeah I don't see nuclear being our future. I see it being part of it, perhaps. Regulations but, and, and, and uh, the lowest bidder, <laughs> you know, yeah. just uh, chugging along through everything we do. Do you, do you do you find any parallels between uh, nuclear energy and the progress of that and electricity back in the day? Because that scared the hell out of people too. Yeah, you know, I didn't get into that as much. Um, yeah, electricity when that came, like everyone was, you know, really upset about what that was going to do. I think the the bigger thing with electricity um, is that. The death, the 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 long term effects of electricity, perhaps are less scary than they are with mm -hmm. nuclear, um, with coal fired, I guess, electricity or water. Um, but coal has done a lot of damage, as we well know, mm -hmm. and the kinds of things that we have that are our insatiable need for energy 
have done to the planet are not great. And so one of the other things that I didn't really end up getting into the podcast um, this time around, although it might have been in one of the extra episodes, was this idea that maybe we need to scale back. Maybe we need to be like, you know what? I don't need to power everything. Mm -hmm. I don't need to have as high of energy needs. But, you know, trying to say that is like trying to say that capitalism is bad. And the next thing you know, you're being shipped off to Russia to go live in the gulag. Straight to the gulag. (laughs) Yeah. It just, it raises a lot of interesting questions. Yeah. Well, that's. That's that, that are very world. funny. I'm sorry. I'm no. not. Do you need more funniness? <laughs> yeah. <It's, laughs> uh, that's been a m- many episodes we've done where at the end we're just like, well, I feel dirty, need a shower. That's not funny at all. You know, it's, <laughs> that's the nature of the beast. So yeah. you, you've done your your three seasons. You, you've been all over the map, so to speak. You know, cryptids, aliens, power, uh, harnessing nuclear power, nuclear yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. President. Um, what's next? Do you have plans? Do you have another season planned? What's your what's on the agenda if you can share with us? Yeah, so there are a couple of things that are sort of in the works. So the the there's a three book series that is based off of the podcast. Um I had a lot of parents who were writing in who were listening to the podcast with their kids and teachers who were using elements of it in their classrooms to talk about like evolution, scientific method, evidence, things like that. And so false really, teachings that aren't allowed in a lot yes, of yeah. yes. Okay, yeah, just want to no make sure longer. everyone sure, understands. I don't know. Yeah, if my legislation is... is in is in session <laughs> right now for that. So don't worry, guys. Uh, they probably are banning my books as we speak. Yeah, well, we're, we're, they're burning our podcast because you're on here and in, in, in for fuel in Florida right now. Burn this podcast. That, that should be our time. I would like to see a video of that. Yeah. Um, so anyway. Um, my agent said, you know, there's a real dearth of middle grade nonfiction books because there's just, it's a hard time. It's a hard uh, age group to write for in a way that is compelling to them. And these topics might be perfect for that. So yes, the, the, the podcast ended up becoming the, um, the basis for a series of these, of these kids books and season one book came out last October and the season two book, there it is. Mm -hmm. The season two book will be out this October, October 3rd. And the third book, they were like, yeah, the kids aren't going to be so interesting. <laughs> I'm Mr. Melty and I'm, I <laughs> I'm yeah. yeah, this is my elephant's foot. Yeah, that's not yeah. as fun. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I honest, I really do think kids would have been interested in it, but I can also see their point where it's a, it's a, it's a departure from the first two books. And so we went back and forth for a while. And then the third book um, will be coming out a year from October. And it is, unless something changes drastically between now and then, will be about the intersection of science and magic. Ooh. Um, so talking about things like, you know, alchemy and how that was the the genesis for chemistry or astrology to astronomy. I got it right that time. There you go. Um, <laughs> but also looking at things like spells and curses and how... At first glance, you might like, that's like complete bullshit. But then if you start looking at things like the nocebo effect or the placebo effect, mm-hmm. you're like, oh, well, there's some interesting things going on here. So again, it's talking about magic and science and trying to differentiate between like things that are grounded in scientific and what we know about the natural world and things that might seem a little bit more woo-y. <laughs> well, that sounds great. We, we, yeah. we, uh, we live in the woo-woo world. 
and yeah. uh, try to have fun while <laughs> the world while uh, talking realistically about these these topics. So it's uh, I'm glad you're doing this and it's fun and and the great thing about your books too is he was you know as we've we've had them and read them they're great for like you said for the kids of of that age but the parents can enjoy them too without being um you're not placating or being condescending or anything like that and that's hard you know it's a you're right it is a weird age to write for especially <laughs> with these topics uh kudos to you for that yeah we'll see how this third one turns out cuz it, <laughs> it got yeah, into right. Magic was harder than I expected. It sort of like got into like religious and faith territory much yeah. more quickly than I anticipated. And, you well, know, that's the nature again, of that beast, you know? Yeah. My goal is not to make fun of anyone or make fun of anyone's beliefs, but it's also trying to sort of help kids parse like good information from bad. And yeah, so it, it required being kind of careful. And then you're like, I'm explaining nocebo effect to a nine-year-old. Like, are they going to get this? <laughs> but I also think it's, pretty amazing i'm really interested um, to read your your chapter on on sex magic like that they oh did yeah, with alistair crowley for one. the children uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and children we all know that our strongest spells come after an orgy <laughs> wait wait you're telling me the guy that that called himself the beast uh <laughs> didn't make the cut for this children's book <laughs> Ew, i feel dirty <laughs> <laughs> are you gonna have a a, a section on superstitions yes yeah. Yeah. There's some really interesting stuff with superstition and like, you know, they did a study in Germany. Um, this probably was about 10 years ago now, but they basically said they brought in all these people to take these tests and they told people, bring in your lucky, your favorite luck, lucky object. And so people brought their object. And then when the test time time came for them to take these tests, they said to half the people, you can take your lucky object in with you. And the other half could not. Oh, wow. And the people who had their object with them did better. <laughs> so there's, there's, you know, there's your some uh, placebo. The, yeah. The, the mm-hmm. yeah, mental component. Yeah. Yeah. The brain is a weird place. If only we were using more than 10% of it. <laughs> <laughs> then we can teleport like Bigfoot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or we turn into a computer like in that movie. You know, <laughs> with the, uh, Who was that? The, Lucy. Yeah. Lucy. Thank you. Well, oh, yeah. <laughs> if everyone wants to find you, and we can't thank you enough for joining us, if they want to find you, if they want to read about your book, read about your list, well, number one, listen to the podcast as well, all your stuff, what's the best places for them to find you? Probably the best place is wildthingpodcast.com, which has info about the books and the podcast, and I think might even have a bio, but it does not give my home address or my phone number. So <laughs> you'll have to look harder if you want that. That's stuff. behind the paywall. So Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, if you if you got to leave our listeners with one thought, one thing, one concern, what's your well, you know when you've been doing this, you know, you you see all these things, what what's your parting uh gift for them? What is my parting gift? Um I like the idea that they should remain open-minded but not so open-minded that their that their brains fall out. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty good one. Um I also think that they should go out looking for Bigfoot because it's actually a lot of fun. Even if you don't believe, like, just go camping, go out in the woods. Stupid exercise and nature and hiking. <laughs> and <laughs> Go outside and appreciate the world yeah, right? because it's not going to be like this for much longer when they turn the sky white. 
Yeah. Yeah. I was just reading. I was just, well, this guy white is a very, very even more scary. I was just reading a story about how get used to orange skies and sunsets because. Oh, yeah. That's our future. This has been the horror hour. Uh, (laughs) It's so true. Yeah. Well, Laura, thank you so much for joining us today. We can't thank you you enough for giving us your time and and sharing us your your skills, your passion. It comes through on your show and your writing, and we truly, truly, truly appreciate it. You're going to be able to find links to all this in the show notes, guys. Make sure you give her a listen. She got her books, especially of kids, because it is perfect, and they're going to really like it. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. This is a blast. Thank you so much. And we will Thank be you. right back after this with more Hysteria 51. Nation, what difficulties did you have with learning a new language in school or whenever you did it? Did you do it through textbooks or did you try to use some weird online thing? I know I took two years in high school and two years in college and I knew nothing. And that's because I wasn't using something like what we have been blessed to have as a longtime sponsor and we use it. Rosetta Stone, they're the most trusted language learning program, and it's available on desktop or as an app. And the reason why I enjoy doing it, it immerses you in the language you want to learn instead of just being silly drills and a class you can sleep through. (laughs) I definitely use it. I I think it's really cool how they have the speech recognition program on there. It gives you the feedback on the pronunciation. Are you making fun of me because I can never do that? That's what you're getting at right now. (laughs) It's like, what are you trying to do? Do it right. (laughs) Uh, but it is really cool. They've got all kinds of lessons. You can do it uh, offline. You don't even have to be online for it. That is great because it's right there in your pocket or at your home and you can do it. You got 15 minutes. Let's go to town. Let's do it. You know, and mm-hmm. it's amazing value. Lifetime membership has all 25 languages available for any trips. You need language in life. You need to brush up on stuff. Maybe you just met a girl or a guy or a non-binary and they're from uh, somewhere else. Somewhere, you know, who knows? Well, if they're in the one of the 25, Rosetta's going to work for you. <laughs> you get lifetime access to all of that. And there is a 50% offer, so it is a steal. So don't put off learning language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Hysteria 51 listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for that 50% off that I just told you about. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today, a today. All right, kids, we are back. Shut up, Bell. We're back <laughs> from Bigfoot, nuclear Bigfoots from space, but Whoa. not other dimensions. We'll tell you that right now. That sounds like the the next movie that you're going to be watching on Discord. <laughs> Nuclear. No, that one is nuclear. <laughs> nuclear. Nuclear. Bigfoot's <laughs> from space, but not other dimensions. <laughs> oh, man. She is fantastic. Yeah, Laura's great. We were just talking about this. The show, too, is great. She's a, a true professional. It's very well produced and well put together. You get um the the episodes are also aren't like super long they don't go on and on you know it's very well constructed and efficient each episode yeah 
and yeah, she was just out here on a, on a panel with me for this literary festival talking about how to take your writing and put it into podcast form. And, um, she, she has a wealth of knowledge to share about that. She's great. Well, as we've talked about before, like just outside of the books and the podcasting she's been in, well, she's a journalist. She's been working with NPR and Los Angeles times and Fox and Washington post and all these places for a very long time. And it shows in a good way. Yeah. It shows yeah. it comes through in her, in her writing and her attitude and the way she approaches things like this. And I like the fact that much like us in a lot of ways, she's talking about and approaching topics that she might not really believe in, but is open to believe in, you know, I, I've, I've said this before. I came into this being probably a little bit bigger believer than I am now. Um, mm -hmm. And I've come more to the middle and I think that's good because I've learned by researching things and going into things and, and, and using more, you know, of an educated approach than to a gut feeling, though mm -hmm. I still use a lot of gut feeling and I'm sure you're the same way. You've been doing it longer than I have. <laughs> it, it has been um, a great process to develop critical thinking for me. Right. And well, you summed up what everything I just said in two minutes and four <laughs> words, so piss off, but yes. <laughs> that comes with experience too, Brent. <laughs> critical thinking, but worded but I, much I worse. I feel like <laughs> since I've done the podcast, I, I feel like now I'm ready to go to college. Does yeah, that make sense? Well, I, I tell when you, I, who, I, I sure can do a book report. <laughs> that's a thing, research. like... When I got out of high school and I went to, to college, I I just got wrecked um, because I had no idea how to write papers or do research or do any of that stuff. Um, and, you know, by the, by the end of college, I was uh, dean's list because I was just taking, like, music and, and theater classes, <laughs> you know, yeah. stuff that I actually knew a little bit about or, or had um, – some experience skill in or got to know the professors, you know, things like that. But those first couple of years in school were just brutal because I had no idea what I was doing. And now after developing skills in researching and what goes into, um, actually citing my writing, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. and fighting, um, with other people. No, it, it's, uh, it has developed so much, and I think that when you get into this stuff, you can go one of two ways. You can go that critical thinking route and start saying, okay, but this doesn't make sense logically or rationally, and those are the things we've got to like hold on to. Or you could go into the, I don't care about all that stuff. It's a conspiracy and people are trying to keep you down. I'm going to believe what I want to believe and then look for the stuff that supports my beliefs, which is confirmation bias and is completely wrong. And I thankfully, I think you and I both have taken that, that, that former path, um, and developed skills to kind of say, okay, this, this, we need to question, this sounds really legitimate. So let's pursue this, mm -hmm. you know, and now I could, I, I feel like I could go back to school and write papers the correct way or the way they you know, I, want you to. I a hundred percent agree. And, and she brought up a, a different avenue of that, that I, I want to touch on too, is when she said you do all this research and stuff, but then you have these first person accounts. That's a totally different ball game in and of itself too. Cause then you're looking at someone and that is when your gut feeling really does come into it because you're like, Hmm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, 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 it's, I, I always think of uh, half baked. I believe him, yo. 
I don't know why, but I do. And that's that's kind of true sometimes. And that's an important part of journalism and police work and being a parent, <laughs> you know, and yeah. Yeah. which one of you broke the vase? Hmm. You know, uh, it's just the way yeah. of life. And, and that's a, that's a skill that, uh, you know, we don't, we do less of that than, than other, maybe some other shows and are definitely, you know, people that are, that are doing the interviews and journalists and stuff like that. But, uh, it is an important part of this. And I, I truly, truly agree with you too, that I've learned a lot about, research and myself and writing and I would absolutely be better at school because I'm well I'm older and I'm better equipped yeah. uh, to to do that but thankfully I don't have to go back to school uh, so yeah forget that noise <laughs> uh, well guys like we said we're gonna have notes uh, show notes in uh, you know links to everything for her in those notes so please check them out. The show's great. The books are great. If you got kids, it's a perfect avenue to get them into some of this stuff. And you also know and that you're getting in them in, in a way that is respectful and not crazy or anything like that, so to speak. <laughs> They're great because if you've got kids or if you just have, you know, a, a seventh grade reading level, these are perfect <laughs> for you. What's they that also are gorgeous. <laughs> Yeah. The the art is is great. They're yeah. very well. The put pages together. are put together fun. You know, the art goes through the pages and stuff, and it's written. Yeah, so uh, it's definitely something that um, I, I think people are going to enjoy. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have kids and you're like me, you're probably going to enjoy it anyway. And then you just <laughs> add it on your bookshelf. And you or go, if you're ah. just a big kid yourself. Yeah. Well, amen to that. But have you guys listened to her? Have you guys looked into? Anything else, or is the crap that we were talking about Bigfoot not being interdimensional all malarkey? Well, tell us how can they do that, sir? Well, you can go to Hysteria 51 Pod on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Hysteria 51 Pod. You can uh, join the Hysteria Nation Woo-hoo! on there. Let us know what's going on, share memes, make fun of each other in a in a good way. Yes. Um, yes. You could. Leave us a voicemail, 773-669-7277. What's that number, Brent? 773-669-7277. Or phonetically, it's Eastman. Exactly. Um, for those of you who are visually impaired, I guess. Um, uh, join Patreon. Uh, that's just uh, patreon.com slash hysteria51. Yep. Yep, yep. And you can find all the social media at hysteria51.com. And you can tell people about the show. Hey, there's two dudes who are just insufferable, but you know what? Some <laughs> For some reason, I just love them. <laughs> two and, dudes and, and, with attitudes. Wasn't that a Nintendo game? <laughs> bad, bad dudes. Bad dudes with attitudes? I don't know. Who knows? Oh, I'll tell you who. That goddamn Sasquatch. That's who knows. That <laughs> goddamn Sasquatch. <laughs> tell a friend. Tell an enemy. Tell a loved one. Uh, yeah, that's your homework, kids. With that said, I've been Brent. I've been David. He's been in court. It was terrible. It was just terrible. I'll never get over it as long as I live. That's it for another edition of Hysteria 51. We'll be back next week with yet more of the unexplained, the unexplored, and the unheard of. Oh, if it's unheard of, how will they know about it?
Anyway, if you want to suggest a topic, give us your thoughts, or just make fun of Conspiracy Bot, that's my favourite. Join us in our Facebook discussion group, Hysteria Nation. Just log on to Facebook and search Hysteria Nation, or you can always tweet us at Hysteria51Pod. You've been listening to a fourth-hand joint.